0: You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Joining me right now is Jerry Baker. He's editor-at-large of the Wall Street Journal. He has a weekly column for the editorial page called Free Expression. He also has a podcast called Free Expression. If you haven't listened to it, you should. And he has a new book out called American Breakdown about American institutions. Um, Gerard Baker, thank you so much for being with me today.
1: Martha, thank
0: you very much for having me. So, um, big weekend, right? We got this, we averted this shutdown, which uh, was a big bipartisan vote, which usually we would celebrate that. But in today's world, we now have uh, Matt Gates who criticized the speaker for um, uh, communicate, you know, for, for negotiating with Democrats to get that big vote. Uh, and he's going to negotiate with Democrats to try to get rid of Kevin McCarthy.
1: Right. Yeah. Not ex- uh, not exactly. Uh, not, not exactly progress is it towards uh, towards the kind of uh, long term stability that the government was. We have a forty five day you know continuing resolution. We'll keep the government open just for that period. Meantime, the Republican Party, with its very very narrow majority, is uh, is going to go through. Uh, if Matt gets gets his way, is going to go through a kind of a, an exercise in sort of uh, political suicide. So um, yeah, it's um, it's it's one of the reasons think uh sorry to you know just bring the subject to my book. I'm happy to talk about anything, but it's one of the reasons Americans don't really trust their political leaders right now. I mean, we have this—you no. um, know—we have this. This is this is this is what we have. We have, you know. And by the way, I must say, on this particular thing, you know, on Friday, uh, the House could have passed a, a re- could have passed a continuing resolution that would have been actually very conservative in terms, very much in terms of the values and principles that the Freedom Caucus stand for. Would have cut government spending. Would have secured the border. Would have made some long-term plans about how to deal with the fiscal crisis that we have. And yet they rejected that and sided with Democrats in that uh, and now they object to the fact that any kind of any measure is passed it is a um, it's a it's a strange situation
0: it is and i'm glad you brought your book up because we were going to go into that because i think that that's the bigger issue but the point i, I want to make before we do that is that we have a four seat majority in the house and uh we lost the majority in the senate and it's a very sticky subject here in georgia because we had a runoff in 2021 that yep. Uh, 420,000 Republicans did not go back out and vote that voted in the general election, Uh, roughly 420,000, because they were told by the former president uh, in rallies that he had, one in Dalton and one in Valdosta, Georgia, you can go out and vote, but your vote may not count. And as a result of that, uh, in my view, we lost the majority of the Senate. Which would have been tight also. So now the Democrats have a one-seat majority. We could have had a one-seat majority. And we've got to negotiate if all we have is 50-50 government.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I, uh, you've anticipated the column I've written. I, I, as you very kindly said, I wrote a column which appears in the Wall Street Journal on Tuesdays. It goes up online on Monday, Monday afternoon. So, I've actually, I've, I've written it, finished writing it this morning. Making this, making very much the same, the same point, Martha. That that, that the pro- here's the problem we have. We have people, uh, you know, whether you whether it's Matt Gates. I don't know why we spend so much time worrying about someone like Matt Gates, but whether there's people like Matt Gates. These sort of, you know, and uh, extreme MAGA Republicans. I don't like that term either, but but they here they are. They are, you know, they what they seem to be interested. They don't seem to be interested in doing, in getting in, in getting the best possible legislation passed, in getting the best. Um, the best outcome for conservatives, past they seem to be interested only in promoting themselves and only in promoting their own causes uh, and only, frankly, in playing the kind of grievance card. You know, it's always a, you know, oh, you know, people are so unkind to us, with they're so unfair to us. And I make the point, Martha, that it's a very similar thing with the national political situation we have. We have a, I know, we have a range of Republican candidates who I think would all be committed to very good conservative policies that if they got elected and especially if they were elected with a republican house and a Pro- republican senate would we'll be able to move on the issues that really matter whether it is immigration securing the border which really really does matter whether it is getting that fiscal situation sorted out but instead we're kind of playing this weird game with the former president where all he wants to talk about is the last election the fact that he won the last election and uh he was cheated at the last election and again playing that grievance role all all he, all, all, all that kind of that there's a certain crowd in, pu- in politics, by the way, I should say on both sides of the aisle, who just want to play the victim, who just want to be out there saying, look at me, isn't it terrible what's happened to me, and isn't it all wrong, when actually we could be getting stuff done that really, really matters and that really would improve the state of the country.
0: You know, a long time ago, former Senator Saxby Chambliss, uh, who worked across the aisle quite a bit, uh, and said, was talking about C-SPAN. And he said, you know, the problem with C-SPAN, I love that everything's out there on C-SPAN, but if they catch you working with a Democrat on C-SPAN, your opponent ends up using that against you in an ad in the next election. And yeah. uh, we see that on steroids with what's happened with social media and 24-hour news and all of the other things. So it highlights... The kind of fringes of the party, which, look, I'm about as conservative as you get. Um, But I guess I would say I'm a conservative pragmatist. Okay, I personally hold very conservative values, but I also realize that when you got a four seat majority and you don't control the Senate, that you might have to do what Reagan did, which is identify the things you won't negotiate on and then negotiate on the other things.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, we we live in a country, we live in a divided country, right? And so... You know, we can't simply expect uh, when when we're elected to Congress, um, or even frankly when we're elected to the presidency. And by the way, this is one of my criticisms of Joe Biden uh, that he's governed in a way that that suggests that you know his party is overwhelmingly the dominant party in the country. It isn't. We have a, we have at best a fifty fifty country. Biden won the election, the presidential election narrowly, as you said. You know, last year the Republicans won the House narrowly, and the and the Democrats got back control of the Senate very very narrowly. I mean, we we have we have a fifty fifty country. In those circumstances. You do, you know, you, you, you. I mean, it's not a dirty word to work across the aisle. Of course, by the way, you know, it, it compromise is a dirty word for a lot of people. But in order to get things done for the American people, you have to acknowledge that there is at least 49% of the country that doesn't agree with you. And you can't simply impose your ideas on the 49% of the country that doesn't agree with you. You've got to work across the aisle Again, without abandoning your principles and your values, without um, without, 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 without rejecting uh, the ideas on which you were elected or the goals that you're trying to achieve, but you've got to work to get... Uh, deals done, and again that 's what you know that, 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 with an, as you say with a majority of just four in the house that 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 makes certain things absolutely inevitable, and one of those things is you know getting measures passed by the way i mean again i I'm, I, I was very skeptical about Kevin McCarthy when he was elected speaker I've, I've followed his career quite closely over the last ten fifteen years, and i 've not been hugely impressed with him but i 've got to say he 's really stepped up to the plate in the last year i mean he got the he got a terrific deal done uh, on the debt ceiling and he came up again with a plan that would have held the, could, could easily have held the Republican caucus together. Now, that probably wouldn't have passed in the Senate, obviously, because the Senate has a Democratic majority, but it would at least have laid out a basis for conservative governance, which is what conservatives surely want to achieve, rather than... Ending up basically with you know, having to pass a continuing resolution on the back of you – know, with the support of you know, all but one Democrats in the House and pretty well all the Democrats in the Senate. So you know, the, the, the weird irony is that the, what people like Matt Gates are doing is in the pursuit of supposedly purest MAGA governance, they are actually handing over victory to, to, to Democrats who are actually in a minority in the House of Representatives.
0: So the book is American Breakdown, Why We No Longer Trust Our Leaders in Institutions and How We Can Rebuild Confidence. And I heard the podcast, your podcast, Free Expression, where you sort of flipped roles, where you got interviewed about the book. And if this is an important topic to me and I think to everyone is we do have problems trusting our institutions right now for a lot of reasons. Um, but the most important part, I think, about your book is how can we rebuild the confidence? So yeah. what are your thoughts on that?
1: So I think, uh, thanks again, Martha, for, for, for saying that about the book. Yeah, there. I think, look, there are, as I say in the book, um, I go through these institutions in which Americans have lost trust—from the permanent government to the media, to educational institutions, to public health and uh, medicine, in some extent, to public science, to big business. Lot, pretty well, all the major institutions in the country uh, of, of Americans have lost confidence in them in the last twenty, thirty years or so. Now, and I say, as I say in the book. You know, they've all lost confidence for their own kind of their own reasons to some extent. They've all you know failed us in many many ways, and that's why people don't trust them anymore. But there are some common things that they all that that, that is that, that, that explains why, comfort, why why trust has declined. And I go and I talk about them in the book. And I just say two and and the two or three key things I think are these. And this is how we can you know we need to start repairing confidence. The first is. Uh, Martha, and again, this, you know, from a conservative, this does, this, this sometimes makes people, um, you know, question, you know, it makes people sit up and think, is this really a very conservative thing to say? But I think it is. It's inequality. We've seen a massive growth in inequality in this country, and a sense where a lot of Americans, that the system is rigged and the system is unfair. That, that's all, you know, as you can tell from my accent, I'm an immigrant to this country. I've lived here for nearly 30 years. I came here from the United Kingdom. I love this country. I think it's, a, I think it's the greatest country in the world. And one of the reasons I came here, and many people can't come here, and one of what has animated so many Americans for so long is this sense that you can achieve things. You can, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from. This is a land of opportunity. That sense of opportunity is diminishing rapidly in this country, Martha, as more and more people get richer and richer and secure their own futures uh, at the expense of everybody else. So inequality is a huge problem, and we have to tackle that. We have to tackle that. There's all kinds of ways in which we can do that. The second problem is, of course, partisanship. We just talked about this here in the context of what's going on in Congress right now. We've become very, very polarized, and we have to make some changes that will that will, that will actually make people, force people to come together as a, as a, you know, in, the, in the national interest to achieve things, and then I think more, there will be more trust. Third thing, but I think this is the most important, and this is what I spend most time talking about in the book. These institutions, uh, Martha, have been seized, essentially been captured in the last 25, 30 years, by a kind of a progressive elite, um, you know, expensively educated. They all go to the same sort of um, the, 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 the Ivy League and the top, top colleges in the country. They all think exactly the same way. They all think increasingly in, – they, they've all subscribed uh, or been indoctrinated, if you like, in um, these extremely um, left-wing – um, Anti-American, frankly, kind of ideas and tropes that the country is terrible. They have the same ideas on whether it's on climate change or on gender or on um, you know border, a borderless world. They believe in a kind of a new creed, a new credo uh, of sort of progressive ideology. That and they, oh, these people are the people who now run, who are, who are overrepresented. They run the permanent government. They run big businesses. They run the media. They run our educational institutions. And I think we've got to find ways. And again, I talk a little bit about this in the book. We got to find ways to take these institutions back and to, you know, I think it begins in politics, and I think in some respects, again, although I'm not, I'm critical of Donald Trump and many things he did, I think his election in 2016 was the start of a kind of a fight back by American people to take their country back. But I think it's got to go further. We're seeing it with the Supreme Court. I think we're already going to get, you know, we've got a Supreme Court now that I think will, that will, that will uh, take, the, take many of these, that uh, take many important decisions that will help the country to go back to the values and, uh, and principles that made it great. So, I think the process is underway, and we—it's partly political, it's partly cultural, but we've just got to—we've just got to—we've um, got to—we've got to keep pushing because it's that more than anything. It's the fact that these institutions have been taken over by these progressive, so-called progressive left-wing elites with their radical ideas uh, about America. Uh, That—that's that's the primary reason people don't trust these institutions, and that's what's got to change.
0: Well, and you know, the best example of what you're talking about is really in the Biden administration, where. They have these people that are heading up these departments, and they're going on news organizations, and I'm sure they do interviews with the Wall Street Journal, and they do all this kind of stuff where they're telling Americans that what you're feeling about, about paying $7,000 more a year for the same stuff isn't real. You just don't understand that what we've done for you is so good that your yeah. life is really better. You just don't really see it.
1: <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah,
0: That yeah. is the perfect yeah. example of what Uh-oh. you're talking about.
1: Yeah, exactly. Who are you going to believe? Like you know, me or your lying eyes? you is is lying, <laughs> right? That's what. Yeah, that's what they say. Or, or the border again. I keep coming back to the border. The border, to me, is a is is not only a practical, you know, daily problem that is making uh, uh, life worse for a lot of Americans, but it is a it is a symbol too of this of this ideology, which basically says. We don't even have the right, really, to stop people coming to this country, that somehow we have an obligation to let anybody who wants to come to this country, we have an obligation to let them in. That's what's behind the border policy. It's not incompetence by the Biden administration, although there's plenty of that. It's a deliberate choice that actually, these again, you talk to these people, they don't really see, you know, they say, well, look, these people are living in poverty, and we have global obligations, and there's nothing special about, you know, American exceptionalism. America's not an exceptional country. So, you know, let them all come. That is... That is that is a ruinous approach. That is going to that will destroy this country. I mean, literally destroy it. And that has to that has to be changed. But yes, you see it time and time again in this administration's policies. But you see it also. Again, this is the point of my book. It's not just a political thing; it's it's a cultural thing, and you see it in the media, you see it in what's being taught in schools, you hear it in what our chief executives of our big businesses are saying, you see it in you know in the crazy kind of stuff that we saw during COVID with some of the some of the pronouncements from some of our public health officials. It's it's it deeply embedded in the whole political uh, and the, the politics and culture of this country, and it's that for that reason that people don't trust them.
0: Gerard Baker, the book is American Breakdown. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Martha, thanks for having me.
2: It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: It's always great to be here on the Martha Zoller Show and to be joined by Niall Stanage from The Hill. He's also... Uh, on News Nation, one of my favorite new places to go because they don't give up on stories. They don't just follow a story once and then you never hear them anymore. They have people that are experts in these stories, and I love that. Welcome back.
3: Thank you, Martha. Good to be here. How are you?
0: Good. So when we booked this, I intended to talk, get a few days out from what happened with the debate, and that's something we'll talk about. But we, now we got Matt Gates, and we've got McCarthy, and the deal he made. And we got fire alarms. You know, we got everything, don't we?
3: <laughs> we certainly do. It's been an eventful few days in Congress for sure.
0: So I want to start with the silliest story, which is the fire alarm, um, mm-hmm. Representative Bowman. Uh, you know, who was a high school principal and clearly knows what a fire alarm looks like. Uh, It is the most interesting thing. What was he trying to stop? I mean, because I think he voted for the thing they were voting on at the time he pulled the fire alarm. What's the deal there?
3: So, yes, that's, quite right. He did vote for the measure. He denies that he had any uh, intention of delaying the vote. His uh, view of the matter is that he pulled the fire alarm to try to release a door in uh, one of the buildings in the Capitol complex, not the actual house chamber itself, because he was rushing to get to a vote. He says that he did that in confusion and that he regrets any uh, embarrassment caused to his colleagues or anything like that. Now, Uh, Clearly, there are people, particularly on the Republican side, who do not believe that uh, explanation. But I do think it is an important point that you make, which is that he voted for the stopgap spending measure, as did most of his colleagues. That spending measure, the 45-day stopgap, actually got more Democratic votes than Republican votes. So in that context, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to say that he was pulling that fire alarm to disrupt or delay the vote.
0: Yes, but it is kind of interesting because you just don't know how you make a mistake like that. Because if you've lived a certain amount of time in the world, you've passed a lot of those big red boxes (laughs) that are on the wall. And you kind of know to stay away from them. But I'm not criticizing. I don't know that he should be removed or any of that kind of stuff. It's just not something we needed on top of all the craziness that we had on Saturday, Mm -hmm. which started with a vote. On a very conservative measure, and we're actually, after you, we're going to have uh, Congressman Mike Collins, which is one of the congressmen that voted against these measures, on mm-hmm. to talk about why he voted the way he did. He is in our, dist- in our listening area, and we're going to talk with him, and then we're going to talk to Andrew Clyde tomorrow. Uh, but uh, we had this one uh, um, proposal that was actually a very conservative proposal that did mm-hmm. get some Democrat votes, and, but, but not enough, 21, I think, Republicans voted against it, so it didn't get through. So it was actually a very conservative measure, wasn't it?
3: It was, yes. I mean, it had more of what the conservative members of the House Republican Conference wanted than the eventual 45-day stopgap. The stopgap, in essence, compromised on uh, two pivotal points, spending cuts, which uh, Conservative Republicans wanted, and increased uh, money for border security, which they also wanted. Those are not in the stopgap. So in that sense, the measure that went down to defeat was more conservative than the measure that was ultimately passed. Now, I take the point that it's a, it's a bit more complicated than that in terms of what exactly you want to vote for if you're from a very conservative district or hold very fiscally conservative beliefs. But your point is well made, I think, that the initial version that was defeated was the more conservative of the two, clearly.
0: And the final one that was passed, I believe, had 90 Republicans that voted against it. And the the vote was something like 320-something. You probably know the exact vote. But it was a very overwhelmingly bipartisan vote that usually we would have cheered and said it was a positive step forward and a place where we could work from. But that's not really what we're hearing right now.
3: No, it's not, because, of course, we were immediately pitched into this battle within the Republican Party, and particularly the conservative flank, I suppose, spearheaded by Congressman Matt Gage from Florida, who has publicly stated that this week he will seek to oust Uh, speaker kevin mccarthy from the speakership he will use what's called a motion to vacate to do that uh, a measure that has never actually worked successfully to remove a speaker but you know there's a first time for everything Uh, and the point is i think that these tensions that have always been present between speaker mccarthy and the most conservative or hardline or whatever word you want to use colleagues those tensions are still very much present and look pretty certain to be uh, deepened further this week.
0: You know, I mean, I'm a very conservative Republican. I also live in the real world. I'm a pragmatist. Mm. And I kind of am in the Reagan camp, which I know is a lonely camp to be in these days, Mm. where, you know, you have a couple of things that you don't compromise on. Like, I'm not going to compromise on border security. I'm not going to compromise on defense. But I might compromise on other things. And Mm. uh, if I were in that place. And um, Kevin McCarthy was never a guy I liked a lot. I mean, he, I I always felt we didn't need another California representative as a speaker. And, Mm. uh, but I have been impressed with the way one, he's been able to kind of cobble together uh, some wins, not only a few weeks ago on the debt ceiling, but also recently. And I think he's been pretty tough. I mean, he has been showing leadership and in my, my definition of leadership is that mm-hmm. you You stand up and you tell people what's possible, okay, and then sometimes you take the heat for it. And I think he's done a pretty good job.
3: Sure, yeah, I think that's a completely fair observation. It is worth, I think, emphasizing that the people who are most adamantly opposed to having Kevin McCarthy as speaker do number of, fairly small minority of the Republican conference. Now, of course, we won't know until uh, Congressman Gates' motion to vacate is actually voted upon, but it is thought that the number of Republican members who might be willing to vote for that is somewhere between one and two dozen. So, you know, you think of a conference that numbers well over 200 members, that's only about one in ten. The reason I mention all that, Martha, is that I think it speaks to your point where the House Republican conference is a broadly very conservative body, and the clear majority of its members do not at this point wish to oust Kevin McCarthy. Now, conservative members may not think of the Speaker as uh, one of them in his soul, let's say, and I think you got at that in the, in the points that you raised, but I think there is broadly a, a degree of satisfaction among the bulk of members, but of course the uh, most um, ardent uh, right-wing members are, are understandably getting a lot of publicity because it's them who are seeking to move to the Speaker.
0: So Marjorie Taylor Greene also voted against uh, this measure, and Mm -hmm. she actually was with Kevin McCarthy very early in the 15 votes that it took to become speaker. So Mm -hmm. has she had a change of heart that you're aware of, or is this just Marjorie Taylor Greene voting with the Freedom Caucus, do you think?
3: Well, the Marjorie Taylor Greene situation is somewhat complicated because opposition to Ukraine aid is so vital to her. She has set her face very firmly against further Ukraine aid. Without getting too deep into the weight of this, at an earlier point in the process, there was an attempt to do a deal with her to make sure that the Ukraine issue was to her liking. Now, in the stopgap measure, as you and your listeners will know, it is the way. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, having been seen very much as a firebrand when she first entered uh, Congress, has become closer to Kevin McCarthy, politically speaking, over time. But she is still adamant on this Ukraine topic. So it's a a curious position that the Congresswoman's in, and and, and she would be, of course, the best person to ask about it. But it, it does seem complicated exactly what she's willing to vote for and what she's not.
4: And,
0: you know, I have a very dear friend of mine, Jim Lechner, who's a retired colonel from uh, the United States Army. He's His first big operation was Somalia way back when, and he's been in every hot spot in, you know, American military, both on the Delta Force side, Special Forces, all that kind of stuff throughout his whole career. He's been retired for a number of years, and since then he's been... Uh, you know, involved in special operations as a civilian uh, hired by groups of people, whatever. So he came on recently because he's been just now back from being about 18 months in Ukraine. Uh, And, you know, he was able to give a lot of great insight about how our aid is actually being used and explaining a lot of that. And I think, as with anything, I, I support helping Ukraine because we have to keep Russia where russia is and you know i just i just feel it's very important that we help i do understand though those that say we need to have some accountability because whether you're talking about ukraine the border or any other thing within the federal budget there's not enough accountability COVID spending i mean you know just start the list okay of things that we throw money at and then we don't actually have accountability on and we've got to figure out how to do that now because you know we're getting to the point where you know the president likes to go around saying he's cut the deficit by 1.7 trillion dollars which may have been true in the first year but he's going to have a 2 trillion dollar deficit this year and so you know we've got to have accountability and i don't know how to get there again
3: sure i mean again a very really valid point i think any taxpayer worries about wasteful spending or about where their money Goes and obviously the sums going into Ukraine are so vast that those concerns are particularly acute there. Uh, the most recent request from the Biden administration was for an additional 24 billion in funds for Ukraine. Now I do think it's important, and this isn't just to play uh, devil's advocate, but I, I do think that sometimes there there are people who use the accountability argument when in actual fact they're opposed to aid to Ukraine and they just don't want to say it. Um, and so, you know, that's part of this debate too. But certainly I think these, you know, massive amounts of money sloshing around of course, uh, create concerns about accountability yeah, and making rep- sure that the money. <laughs> reminds is me of right.
0: the reminds me of the pallets of cash that Paul Bremer had in Iraq. So yes. you know, yes. it's it's all out there. And you know, former Senator Johnny Isaacson who passed away last year, had a. A bill, perennially, uh, biennial budget bill, don't laugh out loud because we can't even do a one-year budget. But the idea Mm -hmm. behind it was you pass a two-year budget and in the off years you do oversight. It's kind of like what Texas does. It's what other states do. Um, You know, I just want to get back to where we're talking about ideas like that, that we're not just navigating from one frying pan to the next one uh, Mm -hmm. and that we're actually getting real work done. And you know what? I'm a cockeyed optimist, Niall. I know we're going to get there.
3: I hope so. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being with us today. Appreciate it very much. Now, Stanage from The Hill, appreciate you being with us.
2: Always a pleasure, Martha. Have a good day. Putting the talk in News Talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: Mike Collins is here with me right now. Mike Collins is one of my favorite people in Congress because we have the kind of relationship where we can talk about things. We might not agree about things, but we get a lot accomplished every time we get together congressman collins thank you for being with me today
2: hey good morning martha i appreciate you having me on appreciate what you just said too you know we could never repay our
4: debt to our veterans there's just no way no what they do for
0: us so. absolutely absolutely <clears throat> you know my yeah. father was a pow in world war ii and you know we didn't call it ptsd back then but he and he functioned he worked he took care of us he was a great father but he had a lot of hard times as a result of what he saw and what he went through. And it stayed with him throughout right. his whole life. And we need to be aware of those that didn't come home, but also embrace those that did come home.
2: So, And, let's- and you know, Martha, that's that's the actually the first appropriation bill that we passed back in July was MilCon and VA. Yes. That uh, fully funded the VA, fully funded all of their, their hospitalization, their health plans, everything. Uh, so that was one uh, one area that we definitely would not think of touching up here.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about what happened this weekend, but more importantly, what's going to happen next. So there was a stop measure on the floor on Friday. That That's right. The way it's being presented is that it had some cuts in it. It had border money. It had Ukraine money. And it was the more conservative of the two that were put out there. I'd like to know your thoughts on it.
2: Well listen let me when I ran I ran saying that I was going to run this place like a business up here and and that's the way I've looked at everything including this now that bill you you have to you have to realize we had three options we had that bill on the floor and then we had shut down the government or either we had we had a number of actually a, a enough republicans up here in our conference that were willing to sign a a discharge petition because all 212 Democrats had already signed one. And that was going to get you a clean CR. And the reason that they told us that in conference was they said, government shutdown is off the table. We will not allow that to happen. If push comes to shove, we'll marshal there and we will sign that. And they're in Biden districts. but So you can take that off the table. Now what do you look at? You look at what is the, the most conservative thing that we can do for a, a short-term funding of the government. And that's what we had on the table on Friday. It funded the government at 92%. It was an 8% cut. It was actually, Martha, it was more of a cut than what the appropriation bills that we're voting on. The appropriate bills that we're voting on are like 1.58, and this was at 1471. And it also was going to force a vote on HR2, which is to secure that border down there by finishing that wall, in, in which you won't, you wouldn't be able to get that passed unless you attached it to something like this. And the third thing it did was set up a debt commission to deal with the other side of the uh, of the equation, the mandatory spending. So that was the t- what was on the table, and I and I voted for that. And it didn't pass. We had a number of Republicans that, that didn't vote for it for various reasons. Twenty-one, so, right? Twenty-one I, I Republicans?
0: Right. Yep.
2: That's right. And some of them moved their vote at the end when they saw it was going down. So then the next day, the, the only thing to put on that table was basically a clean CR so that we didn't have the Democrats running the House of Representatives. And, of course, they threw some money in there for disaster relief, which we would have had those votes anyway. And we're probably going to have another vote on Ukraine. Uh, but I, I just could not support a clean CR. After the shenanigans that the Democrats pulled, they knew they were going to vote for it. Why wouldn't they vote for it? Literally, it a literally, they pulled,
0: literally, they pulled a fire alarm. So anyway, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> no, no, he physically did. And, and, uh, and he's going to have repercussions because of that. Because if we're going to hold people on January 6th accountable for, for holding up the House from doing its job, then that's what that guy was trying to do. And he needs to be held accountable and uh, that that's not right. And of course they had their magic moment where the the minority uh leader came out and spoke for I really don't remember how long. We would not had lunch. Um but but that's where you were at and and I just couldn't support a clean CR and by the time they got through with all of that they joined in and and uh, and voted for it. And, and of course you know they what even
0: I, can, I can respect that, Mike. I can respect the thought pro- I would have vo I would have voted probably the way you did. In, on those two measures, if I were voting. Now, where are we today? Because we got the Smack gates supposedly motioned to vacate. Where does that leave us? Yeah. And then what work do we need to be doing now? Because I know you're a leader, Mark. You, I mean, Mike, you where, talk about leadership. Where are
2: we? You know, Martha, I have been begging for weeks. i even, I told the speaker, I've told everybody in leadership, I need to see a plan. I, you need to lay it out. We're going. I think you and I discussed this last week. We need to see a plan A, B, C, D this week, that next week, and so forth. But we've got one uh, that actually was presented uh, after that, that failed vote. Uh, so we've got our plans laid out on how we can get these approach bills done and voted on. And uh, and so that part is laid out. Now, as far as uh, the, the Matt Gates part of this thing, I'll tell you, Martha, I, you know, if I drive up and I've had an accident, and I'm coming up to the accident scene. My first order of business is get that accident cleaned up and get everything packed up and get it back to the, to the office and to the shop. Now, I worry about what happened and who was responsible later. And they'll pay for that. Somebody was responsible for it. But right now, my focus is on getting these appropriation bills passed and getting them out there before the American people and then play out what happens next. Because if we get tied up into doing who is responsible now, you're not going to get these appropriation bills done. You, you just won't. So and, and there, there'll be a to, time and day.
0: We need to get as close to regular budget order as possible. And I think what I'm hearing you tell me, that there's a plan to do that if we will follow it.
2: There is. Okay. There is. And and you you realize uh, that SOPS, the uh, s uh foreign ops, That approach bill has not been passed. The House hasn't been passed in the House in uh, 17, 18 years. We haven't passed all the 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 approach bills uh, in years. And so, yes, in regular order is working. It's it's slow, but it was designed to be slow up here uh, so that you could methodically get these things done. But you got to start on them in time. And, uh, and and we didn't start on them in, in time to get them done before. And and I'm still learning a lot of ropes up here. So well, we're uh, in the new
0: fiscal year now, Mike. So are we going to start are. next year's budget on time?
2: You know, that's what I looked at. I was asking some members over the over the past week, "What do we do? How do you know?" And they keep going back to the 1974 <laughs> Budget Act, and and that lays it out when you need to have them done. So we need to have our our approach bills done by May which probably means we need to start working on them budget in January, February, as soon as the president puts his out, and, uh, and start working our post bills right in. The, and, absolutely.
0: And do you know what? That's what's going to bring us back together again. Look, I realize there's all different kinds of Republicans. There's all different kinds of Democrats. There's all different people that have different agendas. You mentioned there was a group of congressmen that are in Biden districts, and you understand why they did what they did, right? You understand how they yeah. look at things. So we've got to get to the point where we, we go through this process. You know, uh, uh, Senator Johnny Isaacson who passed away, uh, used to have this bu- bill he put on every year called the biennial budget bill. And it, it was always dead on arrival. But it was a bill that did a two-year budget. Don't laugh because you can't even do a one-year budget. But a two-year budget. And then in the off years, you did oversight. It's kind of like what Texas does. I know we don't have time well, for that right now. You've got to do regular order on the budget, and I tell you, I'll go and buy you beer if you're a drinking man if you get regular <laughs> order on that budget. But I think it's something people need to look at on how can we bring first budget accountability, but second oversight.
2: It is, and and you know, uh, I've got I'm holding it in my hands right now. We've got the budget already proposed plan for the next ten years that uh, the budget. Uh, committee has put out and to balance the budget over the next 10 years but but i'm like you if we get to regular order and we start running this place the way it was supposed to be from the bottom up and which it is i'm telling you the regular order is there things are flowing through committees which they should be and we are passing some good legislation but uh we we need to continue and we need to get on track with our appropriation bills once we do that uh, you won't, all this will be, you won't have these discussions about continuous resolutions. You won't have these discussions about debt ceilings because we're going to go, we, we do our business and we do what y'all send us up to. And we, it, I've always said our job descriptions real short. We just got to do our
3: jobs. Let me ask you,
0: let me, let me ask you a question then, because you're in the more conservative uh, part. I mean, you're in the Freedom Caucus, right? You're, you're, you're all of that. I think this message, though, isn't this a message where you can have a discussion with Democrats about this and find a a friendly ear? Or am I crazy?
2: Well, I don't know how I don't think our politics are ever going to wind up. No,
0: no, no. I'm talking about the process.
2: But the process, I think they they would agree with you 100 percent that the House is run a whole lot better when the Republicans are in the majority, (laughs) because it has been a closed. It, it has been closed order for since Nancy Pelosi took it over every time she's had it. So you haven't been allowed to put amendments on the floor or on appropriation. The only thing that came to the floor came out of her office, basically. I don't I don't know what they were doing up here. I, I, I tell you, I feel bad for them if they had to go through things like that, because I'd be pulling my hair out.
0: Well, Mike Collins, I appreciate you very much. First of all, Mike is an expert on logistics and getting people things from one place to another. He's also a small businessman. He's also a guy that isn't afraid to talk about what he believes in, but he also knows how to talk to people who don't agree with him. And I think that that's what you bring the whole package to this, Mike, and I appreciate it very much.
2: Well, I appreciate you saying that. I do. So we're going to keep our heads down. We're going to keep plowing and uh, we'll get this thing done.
0: Absolutely. Mike Collins, if people want to get in touch with you or need help in your district, how can they do that?
2: rep mike collins and they can they can find us
0: absolutely thanks for being with us today
2: yes ma'am thank, thank you. you appreciate it y'all have a good week it's where north georgia comes to talk it's the martha Zoller show on am 550 and fm 102.9 wdun
0: Joining me right now is Congressman Andrew Clyde. Uh, He did vote to um, he voted no on the measure, which meant he did not want Kevin McCarthy to have to vacate. Although I think you would count Andrew Clyde as one of the more conservative members of Congress and um, had some questions, I think, for the former speaker. And so we wanted to welcome him here today. Thank you, Andrew, for being with me today. I know it was a very long day yesterday.
4: Well, good morning, Martha. Thank you uh, for having me on. Yes, it was a very long day, and we've got some long days ahead of us as well. Uh, you know, I'm still here in Washington, D.C., and and uh, I think we need to uh, move on, move on quickly so we can get to the people's business.
0: So I know that there are recessed until, I think, Tuesday because of the Columbus Day holiday and then Um, Also, a number of the people from the California delegations are going to the Dianne Feinstein funeral. So um, that clicks off a number of days. What kind of work is going on or can go on while this is happening?
4: Well, uh, the committees can still meet and you can still have committee business. And that's the majority of what happens here in Congress is committee business. And um, so nothing can go across the, the House floor until we resolve the issue of the speaker because you have to have a speaker to bring up bills to the floor and to vote on, vote on them on the house floor so that's uh what is not available right now but the committee process and the investigations and all that other sort of thing uh, that can still go on uh, as if uh, as if there was a speaker
0: so yesterday obviously you had eight republicans partner with all the democrats to oust kevin mccarthy and I thought that's kind of what Matt Gates was complaining about um, the speaker doing to get the continuing resolution passed <laughs> that he partnered with Democrats uh, to get it through. It seems a little hypocritical to me. Um, and it also there was a lot of language, Andrew, like, oh, he never did this and he never did that. He was speaker for eight and a half months. Um you know, I, I just think there was an unfair standard put. I'm not saying I think Kevin McCarthy's the greatest guy in the world, and I accept the fact he's not the speaker and you're going to have to find a new one. But it did seem a little bit of hypocrisy.
4: Well, I, I will tell you that, you know, we had an agreement in January. Part of that agreement was uh, that there would be 12 appropriation bills and they would go across the House floor. Uh, and, you know, for a vote, there was no guarantee they would pass but uh, that would be done by the 30th of September. Uh, that is one of the critical things that can put this country back on track is the appropriation process. I
0: agree. I agree.
4: And and that's one of the reasons um, that I was not in favor of um, vacating the chair at this time because you have the, you know, I'm on the appropriations committee and we are focused on getting these across the floor. Uh, now, you know, after the debt ceiling uh, bill passed and after that fight uh and you know we basically gave up and 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 we have an unlimited debt ceiling right now which is a terrible thing for this country then you know what was said to us was hey it's the appropriations process where the real fight is but then we did almost we, we did very little in the appropriations process to move it across the floor you know through committee across the floor so we would have these done by the 30th of September. And that was one of the great frustrations because, you know, what has continued to happen, I think only four times since the 1974 Budget Control Act, have we actually passed 12 appropriations. The last time, I believe, was 1994. Right. So that is a terrible record. And that is a record that we have to uh, end. And and that was one of the reasons. I mean, typically you get a CR on the 30th of september and it's 45 days you get a second cr you get jammed at christmas you get another omnibus just like what happened in 2023 you know 2022 i mean that's what typically has happened and that we were intending to stop that that's what the january fight was about And, and and when kevin mccarthy did not deliver on that then he broke his promises you know trust is a series of promises kept and and that was you know that was part of the battle right there and and I think the the main reason for the eight i did not I did not vote for that because my focus was getting these appropriations across the finish line and and getting an actual schedule insisting that leadership give us a schedule uh, to make that happen because in some of these appropriations in fact all of them there's some great conservative policy wins, and there are some spending cuts not as much as I'd like, but there are some phenomenal policy wins that I was very very concerned that we need to have passed
0: and there was some progress made i mean i'm not trying to you know they were trying to move these bills through correct
4: um yes we were uh and and i'll tell you it was it was a battle just to get a schedule for these bills because that was not the intent if you will remember back in in august um you know the the intent was simply to have another a clean CR to move us forward and what a clean CR continuing resolution would have done is simply extended the policies and the spending levels of the Nancy Pelosi, um, you know, regime. And that's unacceptable. We were not elected as the Republican majority to continue what Nancy Pelosi was doing. And so that's why we fought so hard in January to change the direction. Um, and, and we're going to continue to fight and, and to get a, conservative as conservative a speaker as 218 votes will allow that is the focus right now you know well and there candidates. were ni-
0: 19 that didn't vote yesterday um so you know there were and i don't know what the makeup was there were democrats and republicans i'm assuming so we've had a number of listeners that have said you know one listener said they wanted jim jordan another one said they wanted byron donalds do you know of names that are on the 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 you know that are up for consideration at this point has anybody come out and said i'm running for speaker
4: well no one has actually come out and said i'm running for speaker you know so i would i would i I could tell you that there are five names that have been floated around okay um and uh i've not heard any of them say though that they're willing to run for speaker you know one is of course our current leader steve scalise the second would be tom emmer the current whip uh, the third, uh, I think was, uh, Elise Stefanik, our current conference chair. Um, and then you have, uh, the name of Jim Jordan. You have the name of Kevin Hearn. Of course, everyone knows Jim Jordan. Uh, he's the current chair of judiciary. Um, and then you have Kevin Hearn, who is the chairman of a uh, Republican study committee. And then you have Byron Donalds. All right. Um, so now those are the six that, you know, but, but that doesn't mean that's the entire list, uh, and no one has come out, as you have said. So uh, if they're interested, they'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk to them.
0: So what do you, you know, because you're fairly new up there, um, what do you think, do you see movement in the right direction to be able to get this back on regular order? Because that's my single goal is to get the budget back on regular order, because I think that will not solve all our problems, but it will get us on the path to solving our problems.
4: you are a hundred percent correct, Martha, getting us back on that path. And that's why I wanted to keep us on that path in order to pass bills on house floor. We have to have a speaker, but this is the other thing that's, that's critically important for us so that we do not have the drama that we saw in January in the public eye. We need to go into conference and we don't need to leave conference until we have one candidate that has 218 votes. That's what I am telling, uh, you know, the conference, that that is the way it needs to happen. You know, not 188 votes uh, like Kevin McCarthy had, or 190 or 200, but 218 votes in conference before we go to the floor and vote 218.
0: So, uh, you know, there's a lot of throwing around of the term lying or not keeping promises or whatever. Um, and you mentioned the one thing of the September 30th deadline on the appropriations bills. And that's something you can measure. It's very clear. September 30th comes and goes. If all the appropriations bills aren't through, then that promise was not kept. That's that's clear. But when people are saying that he lied about this and that or the other thing, I, did you see that in your dealings with him? Because my dealings, I mean, my interactions with him, he was fairly straightforward.
4: Well, I will tell you that, you know, my personal interactions with him, um, I did not have that personal experience. You know, I was told that others did. Um, so that was not my personal experience. But right. to me, you know, it was never about personalities. It was about getting the job done and, and ensuring that what he agreed to that he would do. All right. And, um, and you yeah. felt
0: confident in your vote yesterday to keep him in office that he was trying to do the things he promised to do.
4: Well, I I wanted to make sure that we had a Republican speaker, okay, because to me the focus was to get the appropriations across the finish line, and then, you know, one of the other things is that I I will be available, or or, um, I will be on some of the conference committees between the House and the Senate to make sure that the Republican wins, the conservative wins that we got in the appropriations process, we actually keep when we negotiate with the Senate, and that means that we have to, within our bills, have key leverage points. You know, yeah. there's going to always be a little bit of give and take. You're never going to get all everything that you wanted, but you, plan, you better get some of what you wanted. Um, and so that's kind of where my focus was to keep us on track with these appropriation bills, because, you know, regardless of who the speaker is, uh, we can't do it without a speaker.
0: So quickly, you've got about 40% of Gwinnett County in your district now. Has that changed the way you have to act when you get home? I mean, as far as where you go and what you do?
4: Uh, It does not change the way I vote, Martha. Um, You know, I am who I am. I am a a strong conservative. uh, But it does change where I go when I, because, you know, Gwinnett is part of the district. And so you're going to see me and it's a new part of the district. So Gwinnett's going to see a fair bit of me. Uh, because I want to get to know the people in my district. Uh, They're the folks that my constituents who I represent and, you know, and who I um, whose issues I try to resolve.
0: To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com. And you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.